It's that time of week, the time you've been waiting for. It's time for Goat Gab, a weekly podcast about all things in the dairy goat industry. Sit back and enjoy an hour or so with your hosts, Laura Warren Hughes and Cameron Jedlowski, as we talk about ideas and topics that matter to the dairy goat world. Hello, Goat Gabbers, and welcome to another exciting edition of Goat Gab. We're so glad that you've joined us this week. And as always, I'm one of your co-hosts, Laura Warren-Hughes. And I'm the other co-host, Cameron Jedlowski. And we are really excited to be joined this week by Brenda Leitner. So Brenda, why don't you introduce yourself to our listeners and tell them about yourself? You bet. Thanks, Laura and Cameron. I'm Brenda Leitner. I live in central Indiana. I am a a goat breeder, including boar goats, dairy goats, primarily alpines and Nubians, with a few miscellaneous breeds in there. Uh, I'm currently the president of the Indiana Dairy Goat Association, and just thrilled to be on the call today with you in the podcast. Well, we are tickled to have you. And um, as a former Indiana Dairy Goat Association member and cut my teeth with them, um, that is a big undertaking. So uh, kudos to you for taking that on, Brenda. Thank you. It takes a great team. Oh, yeah. Uh, we know the Hoosier State has always had competitive dairy goats, even through uh, the the 80s into the 90s and the 2000s, and obviously 2010s and 2020s now. Um, so it is really a great state for dairy goats, and um, I could not ask for a better person at the helm of the Indiana Dairy Goats Association besides you, Brenda. So, well, thanks, Cameron. And you know, not just dairy goats, but dairy goat showmen. We have some uh, amazing. We have many amazing and talented and um, motivated dairy goat showmen in our youth ranks and showmanship here in Indiana. uh, We call it a blood sport, but we take it really seriously here in Indiana. And that's, that's a lot of fun too. That's one of the neat things about our Indiana Dairy Goat Association. We put together a showmanship series for our youth the last couple of years, and that um, draws kids to the show. Um, with their animals and and really creates a fun competition. That is so cool. I would have loved that when I was in 4-H and in showing showmanship. That would have been a blast. Oh yeah, I I agree on that. I would have loved to have had that as well. And as a judge that's been there um, and then shown, not as a showmanship participant, but someone on the sidelines, um, it truly is a different. Um, different atmosphere. Uh, let's just say that, whether it's a good thing or a bad thing, um, but it's truly a different atmosphere. But <laughs> we're going to dig into that a little bit later on. Um, but Laura, first, what's happening to your place? Well, lots of baby goats, of course, still. And uh, I was thinking, oh, we're about done. And then I realized that we're just a little over halfway done. So eh, it's okay. We're getting some kids sent out and starting to evaluate some kids and um, sat down with the daughters and kind of plan out our schedule for this summer, what shows we think we're going to hit. And that's always, that's always kind of fun. So i uh, got to say though, those gas prices are making you think really, really hard about where you're going to go and how you can afford to get there. You know, I think everybody's probably got that. So uh, we had our first um, DHIR test of the year. And it's the first time that we've done owner sampler. So we've always been in a group test and lost one of our group members. So uh, this is going to be an interesting thing. Um, I, I kind of miss the camaraderie of having somebody here on test day, but it did go a little bit quicker too. So we'll see how that works out. That's about it here. Cameron, what's going on with you? Well, we had an exciting weekend where we got rid of, and I counted, 15 goats left our farm today. So um, chores are a lot lighter. Let's just say that. (laughs) Um, We're now milking only 16, which is a nice number, Um, but we also have six more to freshen. So that'll be 22, and so we'll have to figure out how to do the delegate dance. Um, or the, the delegate, or excuse me, the, the dance of the numbers versus who we want to keep again. So, um, we're really excited about that really good day. Um, 
And like Laura said, it's not just really gas prices, it's everything going up. Don't want to be doom and gloom, but um, though that income does help uh, pay the feed bill every once in a while. Um, also had a weekend where we uh, pulled uh, hair samples, so our DNA, all of our bucks, and all of our sires are verified as well on DNA on file. So all of our bucks we're going to sell this year are actually going to be sire verified. Um, just way too costly right now at this time to do the does um, and, and get DNA on them for a full parent verification. But we're doing that as an added service this year, and um, we're doing it in preparation for 2023 as well. Uh, so we're, we did that this week. We did tattoos. We did teat checks. Um, we did CD&Ts as well. So I called it um, tats, teats, and tees weekend at our farm. <laughs> that sounds like um, uh, sounds like something that I ha- ought to have some adult beverages thrown in there with it too. <laughs> <laughs> yes. My, my dad went out with his friends for uh, a drink afterwards. I went out with some of my friends and had a margarita. So um, it was a, it was a long day. Um, nonetheless productive, um, needed to get done. But I feel like every year we're, we're pushing back when we're tattooing our goats. Um, traditionally, it was always Mother's Day. Uh, we we tattooed our goats. Now it's it's around that Easter time. I don't know. When do you two get tattoo your goats? You know, we always used to do ours at the same time that we disbudded them. And um, I am still using the tattoo set that I used back as a 4-H'er when I had Nubians. So it's the bigger size, the 3-8 size. And fitting those in little tiny alpine ears was hard. And I would get some tattoos in wonky places at times. So we've kind of held off um, a while until their little ears get a little bigger. So today actually was our tattoo in CD and tea day here too on the farm. So um, everybody got caught up. So that's, you know, we never, we always just used to do it with their disbudding and it's just, there's just not enough ear to put tattoos in there. So Brenda, what do you do? Um, It's usually about 10 minutes before the buyer arrives. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Um, Yeah, I don't, I, I wait a little bit longer as well. And, and kind of do them in, in groups or when I can snag my sister to come help me, you know, turn each other green. Yeah. Amen. It's definitely not a one person job. I, I'm like, I don't know how you would do this alone. Uh, no. It wouldn't be easy alone. Uh, but that's all. No, not at all. It is so much, yeah, so much more efficient when you do it. So, so Brenda, in addition to tattooing, what have you been up to? Uh, well, we are actually um, here at Love's Blue Ridge Farm. We are dispersing our boar herd. So that's been a, um, an interesting month since I announced that of sending them off. Last weekend, I was at a production sale in Illinois with boar goats. I'm a little bit sad because that's where we started back in 2005. Um, but And then, of course, right in the midst of... Uh, the middle for us of freshening the alpines. We freshen Nubians early because I've got lots of 4-H buyers that want those Nubian weathers. They're going off to their new homes this week. Um, and then lots of little alpines in the in the totes and the toddler room, we call it, um, learning to drink on the lamb bar. Doesn't that give you an amazing sense of accomplishment when you can get them on the lamb bar? You're like, this is so much easier. Yes. Now we, so as soon as they're done with colostrum in their bottle, um, they, they move to the lamb bar at my house. So they're in a tote in the basement and day three, they learn to use a lamb bar and day four, if the weather's cooperative, they go back out to the barn. Very good. So that's been uh, my last month and last week. Looking forward to freshening um, some of my favorite uh, yearlings. So I'll have three milking yearlings this year, and I'm really looking forward to that. And Laura, one of them is a special one from your place. Oh, very good. Cool. Awesome. She's about a month out. Well, good. Super. Awesome. Awesome. Not a lot going on in the ADGO world right now. I'm looking forward to some more clarification on some things, but this week we're uh, bringing back sponsors, and we have a sponsor this week. Uh, This week's sponsor is Colt and Kaylee Churchill of Rockin' T Acres. Rockin' T Acres breeds high-quality Nubians, uh, 
or excuse me, high quality and productive Nubians and just started in Alpines in Southern Iowa. Rock and Tea has had a lot of success, including grand champion and premier exhibitor of Nubians at the Iowa State Fair in 2021 and a lot of success at many club shows. If you're looking for high quality Nubians, look up Rock and Tea Acre Nubian, or excuse me, Rock and Tea Acres um, on Facebook or get a hold of Colt himself at CT Churchill at dmacc.edu. Colt and Kaylee, thank you so much for your sponsorship this week of Goat Gap. Yes, we're really happy to have you and welcome to the Alpine world too. It'll be yeah. fun. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, but Brenda, we're excited to have you on uh, to talk about putting on show-stopping shows. Uh, as someone that's been to one of your shows, and I know, Laura, you um, made a guest appearance at that show as well. Um, I can guarantee you that uh, the, these shows are really, really high quality that Brenda puts on, not just on the dairy goat side, though, but on the boar goat side as well. Uh, thanks. So I have been helping to put on shows. I actually started with the Indiana Borgo Classic. Um, I was a show secretary for them for a few years and actually their president for a couple of years um, and put on at least four shows each summer with the American Borgo Association. So I got a lot of practice um, prepping for shows putting together teams to pull those off and, and getting the results back into the organization. Um, we, we've done the same with some 4-H shows, youth-only shows here in my county. And honestly, the dairy goat shows came out of what appeared to us to be necessity. So you guys may have heard of something called COVID. And in 2020, all all dairy goat shows pretty much just started canceling on us. And here in my county, we have an amazing facility. So one of your questions, I know you had asked me um, as we were prepping, how do you decide where to hold your shows? I'm, I'm so lucky we have a beautiful fairgrounds. And our swine friends had figured out a way to do outdoor swine shows so that there was plenty of social distancing, there was no close contact, um, there was all kinds of uh, hand sanitizer and uh, masking opportunity. And I, we figured if our friends who are in the swine industry were able to figure it out, we could too. So we put together, it was probably the second show, it followed Carrollton, Georgia uh, in 2000. 20 on the 4th of July weekend. We put together a one-day show, two rings, junior and senior sanctioned separately, and we ended up with over 700 entries because there was so much pent-up demand. And I think, Cameron, you were at that show. Yes, I was. Um, we were showing till 2 a.m. in the morning. At 11.56 uh, at night, we finished. We were officially a one-day show. <laughs> <laughs> that that's the show that I stopped by and and not only were there a lot of animals there there were a lot of big national show competitor animals there so yes. it, it yes. was it was very impressive and it, it was one of those shows that I walked in and I'm like wow this is really amazing uh, we were going wow as well as we watched the entries coming in um, and, you know, Don Bergfield and Tim Flickinger judged for us, and we were in touch with them the week prior and just giving them a heads up so that they, you know, wore the more comfortable shoes for Don Shirt, um, that it was going to be big, and, and pulled it off. So the next day, we turned around, cleaned all those pens, and had a Borgo show the next day. So there wasn't a lot of sleep going on in uh, Danville, Indiana that, uh, that weekend. But, um, we, you know, we were really inspired to offer what the dairy goat folks, the dairy goat industry, there were a lot of people that still wanted to get out and they still wanted to show. They wanted to do it in a safe, 
secure environment and we had a facility and and a way to do it we actually printed um, our our group we put together the name phase five because that uh, indiana was supposed to move to phase five in the quarantine status on the fourth of july um we we printed bandanas that you could wear as a mask for phase five and gave them to all the exhibitors um and just ended up having a great show um, so on the heels of that, uh, we looked at when can we do this again and in a big way, and we came back Halloween weekend with a, a huge four ring um, with people, again, traveling from all over the country um, to our show. And if we could have just controlled the weather, it would have been perfect. <laughs> it's pretty wow. cool. Wow. That's, that's just pretty amazing. Um <clears throat> Did you have as how many boar goats did you have? Just out of curiosity, was it as what were they as it, eager to get out and show as what the dairy goat folks were? Uh, it was not as large, it was closer to 300. And honestly, um, I we found the other species aside from dairy goats didn't cancel all the shows the same way that that dairy goats did, there were still. Um, cattle and boar goat and swine and sheep lamb shows going on in Indiana anyway. So there was not that pent up demand uh, and the, the numbers that, that made it overwhelming. And that was actually a good thing. We coming off of, uh, you know, almost 24 hours of a dairy goat show. We needed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That would have been rough. Yeah. I was, you know, we put, you need a you need a core team to make something like that happen, and it, we really it was a uh, Carolyn and Brian Arney, Carolyn Perkins and Brian Arney, and I um, just sitting at a Mexican dinner talking about how can we make this happen, um, and it just somebody had to write the check to get it sanctioned and arrange to rent the facility. Um, we we did that, and then. You know, finding judges. Our first show, we we reached out to more local people that uh, could drive here and that we were familiar with. But as we have moved on into our subsequent shows, we've reached out and tried to find judges that aren't always in our area, um, new faces, people that you can show that you haven't gotten their opinions before. Um, so, so that's kind of a goal that we have as well to to bring in judges that are new faces that um, will draw a crowd um, and just put together a core team here. There's about six of us, honestly, that are phase five uh, consistently that put on and run these shows, and then we get help from 4-H families, um, other breeders in the area that that just that know us that we work together and make a great team. Well, very cool. So Brenda, just as, as a question, when you guys had this idea, did you think that you would continue on past the COVID year? Uh, initially, no. Um, initially, no. We, we thought, when, and last year, in fact, we put together a May show, a three-ring May show, and then we saw that shows were back on the calendar, back to usual. So for this year, we, we didn't plan that show at all um, because there were plenty of other opportunities to show. So, you know, but then the feedback has been really terrific. We get, people are reaching out to us. We have a Facebook page um, or to our personal pages asking us, when's the phase five show? So this year we looked at, well, when do we need to have a phase five show? What dates on the calendar are open in Indiana or in the area? And we actually put one together for August 20th and 21st, because there are no dairy goat Edga shows in Indiana in August. So we, we are a little bit flexible. Very cool. So is that August date, is that after your state fair then? It is. Our state fair is July 30th and 31st. So we'll come back three weeks later and have the, a three ring phase five show. That's just awesome. Cool. Yeah. Let's get into some nuts and bolts here. Let's you talked a little bit about the judges and kind of balancing that out is 
So for these shows that you're planning, let's just take your August show, for example, when do you or your team start thinking about getting judges? Well, you know, ideally, you almost need to work a year out if you if you really want to get judges. You think about the calendar. Uh, I work with the Indiana Dairy Goat Association, the Hoosier Classic, and we're working a year out on our judges, um, just as a rule. In our shows in June, in May, we'll actually, at our meeting, we'll talk about who do we want to invite for 2023 and put together a slate of judges because if you if you're really looking for those people that are in demand that are going to draw a big crowd they book up earlier than some you know some of the newer newer judges or that might just be getting um you know their new new judging licenses yeah that's kind of what we've found too and and i know that when i've talked with other um people who are putting on shows, that's probably one of the hardest parts of getting their show is they may have judges in mind that they want, but they can't get them. They're already booked. And, um, you know, I think a lot of people have found Brenda, just what you said, you really need to be working at least a year out, especially for those, uh, really in demand judges or on those in demand weekends, like Memorial day weekend, or I think like the first and second weekend in June, those are like packed full and hard to, hard to get judges those weekends. Right. No, I was going to say as a ju- coming from a judging perspective um and someone that flies by the seat of his pants, um I prefer mm. I prefer less than 6 months, but I also understand the delicate balance so like Memorial Day next or Memorial Day I'm actually booked for the next 2 years, 2022 and 2023. So, uh yeah, there are definitely weekends where Judges are in higher demand. And I think maybe, would would you agree with this, both of you guys, if you are considering putting together a brand new show, really take a good look at what weekends you're looking at. Because I, I hear over and over of new shows that are trying to get started and either they just didn't think about it or they didn't realize um, in a 200 mile radius there are three other shows that same weekend that are well-established shows. So it's really hard to get a show going and drawing the number of animals that you do to make it success that you need to make it successful when you're competing against other shows in your same state or maybe in the same surrounding states. Would you agree with that? I absolutely agree. I mean, that's why we didn't repeat the May show. There were, even though there wasn't anything on that weekend, there were two shows the weekend prior shows the following weekend and in hindsight, as we look at the gas prices and how many times you're going to hit the road and you're going to travel, it was a good decision. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, totally on that one. And, you know, it's interesting because you don't want – and I, and Brenda, I'll, I'll pick on the Hoosier Classic because as of right now, how the Illinois Dairy Goat Association stacks things up is the Hoosier Classic and the Illinois Dairy Goat Association show is on the same weekend. In hindsight – And it caused some controversy on the internet because, you know, that's just what it does there. But in hindsight, again, that's 2020, (laughs) um, it, it, it was probably not the smartest idea to, to, to put the two of them because, um, you know, the, the problem was that we assumed that it was going to be in Richmond, which is on the Eastern side of Indiana. Then I got moved to Danville, which I agree is the better decision there. But yes, there, you know, you don't want competing shows in your area because ultimately we all want goat clubs to survive. Exactly. Exactly. We're all in this together. Yes. 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 We've heard that so much, but it is so true, especially with dairy goats. And when you're trying to sanction those breeds that um, are maybe a little more difficult to sanction because the numbers just aren't there. Um, Right. You know, people will usually drive a long way to get those breeds sanctioned if they think that there's a chance for doing that. And when, when you're already competing competing against other shows, you're just cutting those numbers in half. So that makes it a little more challenging to also. Right. Very true. Yeah. So one of the questions that, that people tend to bring up quite frequently, um, is it worth it or does it make a big difference on the draw of, of people that you have to have food booths or um, a food vendor or um, offer an exhibitor's meal? How do you, fe- how do you guys feel about that? Um, well, I live to eat 
So I think <laughs> I think a food a good food vendor, and you just need one, but a good food vendor um, can really help. You don't have to travel somewhere. You don't if you're coming in early or you're spending the night. You don't have to drive and go find something or. Um, you know, the less you have to pack, if you don't have to pack a microwave or a crock pot, you can put one more goat in a trailer. Good so point. I think a food vendor is, a, is important. Um, for our Hoosier Classic, we do a, a meal, a Saturday night meal. But it's a weekend long show. So we've, we've got people there and we have a fun um, kid raffle as well as um, auction in the evening. So that's really something that we do for our exhibitors, that meal. So it kind of makes it a whole event. Yeah. So right. real quick here, I want to dive into that. You're having like a food night or something like that. And that's different, I will say. I, I, I You know, there's some shows that do it and some shows that don't. But what's the, what's the thought around that idea? And where did that idea kind of come about from? For the meal or for just having a food vendor? Uh, the meal, the meal. Oh, you know, I it predates me in with the Hoosier Classic. They just have a history of it. And there are a couple of other shows in Indiana. Um, the Cayuga Banks of the Wabash on, on Memorial Weekend, and there's a couple of shows down in Washington, Indiana. And there's a there's a meal for the exhibitors and kind of a free will offering um, that goes back to the organization. Uh, I'm not sure where it came from. It certainly predates me, but it's great for camaraderie and and just keeping you on the fairgrounds, keeping you at the facility, focused on the show. You know, Cameron and Brenda, I can remember when the Hoosier Classic was at the Marion County Fairgrounds. Mm. And I think I remember the first year that we did a meal as part of that, and I think it was a barbecue. <laughs> but I can't tell you what year it was. I I'm guessing it was in the early nineties, but uh, that was a long time ago. So. Yeah. So, um, you know, it's, it's definitely a tradition and something that, that we love to do. I love gotcha. that. I think that's really neat. Brenda, I want to, you talked about your six core people um, that uh-huh. you put together here is, I guess, how did you find everybody? Because I feel like it's so hard to find a core team of volunteers to put on a goat show because everybody's doing <laughs> their own thing. Um, and, and then what makes a team so great about that? You know, we are, we are Hendricks County 4-Hers. Honestly, we show goats together. Uh, I'm the superintendent here in our county. Um, and they kind of drag me along to shows with them. They're, I, I rarely go in the show ring. Their kids are always showing my goats and, and getting hands-on. Um, and it's, we're just a really close-knit group of exhibitors that enjoy being around each other. Um, we, we're, at, we're at a show almost every other weekend together. So it was just a natural when we decided we were going to put on our own show that that this is our team and they just step up and do it. And we do, we enjoy being together. So do you guys like I, I'm guessing that one person takes one section of things to do and another takes the other and it's kind of based on what your different talents are or your connections or so forth. Uh, true. Um we fortunately, and Carolyn Perkins is a web designer, so she's built our our website. She takes care of our marketing and Facebook. She's done the online entries for for us. So we we really leave all of that to her. Probably to um, we rely on her maybe too much for that, but she's great at it. Um, logistically, you know, we've we've got a couple that are just great at check-in and Laura you had a podcast early on a couple years ago and you talked about your favorite check-in when people showed up and you said did you bring the goats that you signed up you said yes and are they all registered you have papers there and you look over those briefly and then you're checked in (laughs) you know making check-in smooth I've got a couple of folks that are just amazing at that I've got a couple of folks that are just amazing ring stewards and and can take care of that. And that makes such a difference on the success of your show. If you have good ring stewards, 
and and they're willing to do that. So it's, you know, you just go with your strengths. That was actually Cameron's show that checked me in that way. And I just was so impressed with that. Did you realize that, Cameron? No, I, I didn't there. But I want to talk about the ring stewards because to me, and Brenda, you'll probably agree with me, the ring stewards have the most important job. It's not the judge. It's not the show secretary. It's the ring steward. They keep the show moving. Absolutely. We give them special training. We make them yell at us to get to places on time. You know, we, we just we empower them to make that show ring run. That we, They own it. It's theirs, and there shouldn't be any downtime. And we we have some uh, teenage uh, 4-Hers that are some of our absolute best ring stewards because they they love doing it, and I guess it's their chance to boss around some adults every now and then, but they are super <laughs> at it. So tell me about the training that you give them. I think that's a fascinating, awesome idea. Do you just set expectations and tell them what they're supposed to do and go from there? We do. Um, They've got the sheet in front of them. We kind of do practice. You know, when we put on a show, um, our goats don't change rings. And that's one of the ways you can run a show. Our judges move from ring to ring. So if um, Susie is Olivia, let's use Olivia because she's a real human. Um, that's a great ring steward. If Olivia has the Nubians in ring C, she's going to do that same group of Nubians three times in a row. And she's going to know who's who after the first ring. Um, and, may, and you're not going to be looking for people because they're already there. They're right there in that ring. But she knows she's got to have them in there. Nobody gets to miss a class. You know, we're not going to have anybody complaining because they didn't know that their class was in the ring. They're already there. Olivia's got the paper. She's hollering at them, you know, hollering out the names if somebody's missing and making sure that everybody's accounted for. Have you ever been to a show where you missed your class because the PA wasn't working or, the, you know, the ring steward sent them in and said, this is it, judge, and the judge placed them, and there you are missing it entirely that's really just that's a huge disappointment we never want that to happen no and i have seen that happen and i have been on the end of that before too you know either you're too tied up in another ring or you're not paying attention or or like you said you know the ring steward didn't pay attention to the fact that you were standing there and you didn't realize that they'd close the class and and that is disheartening so that's i think that makes a lot of sense to put that extra time and effort in there to train those ring stewards Right. And honestly, they make, they make or break your show. And I agree, Cameron, hands down. Yes. I, again, the most important person is the ring steward. It's not the judge. The judge can only evaluate the goats <laughs> as fast as they are in the ring. Right. I, I will take that right. to my grave there on that one but uh, <laughs> moving moving right along here let's talk about awards i guess the first my first always question is do you do them do you not do them is the is the ribbons enough of an award for people i guess that's my that's my question and, and maybe it's an open-ended question on this podcast yeah that's a good one um we have done awards we'll do best in show awards and we try to do something practical it might be a milk tote or a, um, we always have showmanship awards. Again, we've talked about how important showmanship is in Indiana. We always have showmanship awards, um, even if it's just a bucket with some stuff in it, useful stuff. Um, we try to make it things that you could actually use. Uh, we did. Uh, we have a vendor, actually our awesome food vendor, that makes the most amazing chicken salad. People come back to our shows for her chicken salad. But she's a string <laughs> artist uh, for our for our Howl at the Moon show. She did um, some fun uh, state of Indiana with bats and ghosts and pumpkins, and that was that was fun. But that's probably the most home decor that we've been on any of our awards. They were they were really neat. If you won one of those, that was special. Um, we, you know what we don't do? We don't do judge thank you awards. And I've seen that uh, trend going on more and more. Yep. Um, and 
you know, honestly, um, we tend to put the focus more on the exhibitors and we pay our judges well. We pay them what they ask for and we put them up in a nice hotel, but we don't, um, we haven't really been going after judges awards like we've seen so much. Yeah. As a judge, I'll say, I'll just, I'll just come and say this. They're nice. They are, they are definitely appreciated, but not needed in my mind. The paycheck is enough. And getting the opportunity to judge goats there is enough as well because you are invited to judge goats as a goat judge. It is not a right. It is a privilege. So you are invited to judge there. You cannot go and seek that as a judge. So I'm just saying that from one judge's perspective, that's not saying I don't use the mugs that I currently have for me judging, but I will say it is greatly appreciated. It is not expected. Yeah. That's good because I honestly, as a show chairman, I've been a little bit panicking thinking, gosh, it's been a while since I've chaired a show. It looks like that this is an expectation now that wasn't one, you know, 15 years ago. What do I need to do? You know? <laughs> <laughs> right. So it's, yeah. it's good to know that. What about Brenda? Do you guys do like uh, breed awards? I know some people will do like if you get best of breed or grand champion junior, you'll get an award um, for that. But do you, do you do that? Any of that? We do not. Okay. Uh, I've seen that at shows. I've actually earned some mugs. You know, I think the the Yeti type mugs is is a really popular one right now. Um, but we do not. Um, our facility is expensive, honestly. Um, and we fly judges in often from all around the country. So when we look at our expenses, um, and we typically charge $7 a ring or um, somewhere around there, it's a little bit more expensive at our shows because of our facility and our judges. Um, just all those extra awards is not something that we do. Gotcha. No. It's just, it's a cost that we've decided not to take on. Yeah, totally. So Brenda, thinking about expenses, I know that a lot of shows that I go to have very extensive raffle tables. Mm -hmm. Is this something that you guys do? Um, you know, our Hoosier Classic has a wonderful raffle and, or an auction, live auction. Uh, and that, it was a big um, producer for us last year. And there's a whole committee focused on that. But when we come to our small show, I mean, we're, there's six core folks that are putting this on. We did it at our very first show, but we found that it was more of a distraction for us. And we needed that person somewhere else. So we didn't continue with the silent auction or the, the silent raffle table. Um, we just... We, we couldn't do it well, so we didn't continue doing it. I can see that. I can see where that that could that could distract you from putting on a good show. Yeah. I get that. So, Laura, have you ever seen any creative ideas to raise funds for a show? I mean, shows aren't cheap. Let's uh, We're going to get that out of the way right now. Shows are freaking expensive. But, Laura, have you seen any creative ideas to raise funds for shows? You know, the one thing that seems to be really popular right now are um, raffles or um, I, it, I don't know that lottery is the right word, but, you know, you send 20 bucks and you buy a ticket to purchase a high dollar item, such as an ultrasound machine or a milking machine or a pasteurizer or an aluminum milk stand or um, gosh, one show I even saw a trailer was was what they were selling um tickets to try to get and the cool thing about that of course is uh people buy the tickets once the price of that item you know they figure out how many tickets they're going to sell once the price of the item is made um that's you know that's everything over the top of that is profit for the club so i i think that that's kind of a neat idea it looks to me like a lot of work behind it but yeah um that's really about the most creative thing that I've seen in recent times. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. I would agree with that. I saw, I saw that I've seen the trailer. Um, I think I might've been there the year they actually um, uh, raffled off the trailer. So um, I think, I think I was there at that show, but yeah, there, there are ways to raise funds. I do think the Facebook crazy raffles um, work effectively. Brenda, have you guys ever done one of those? 
Um, we our uh, Hoosier Classic or the Indiana Dairy Goat Association has done a couple of them, um, and and they were successful. I think a barn camera system was was the most recent one a few years ago. Um, you know, the other thing I've seen for fundraising for a show is simply soliciting breed sponsors, ring and breed sponsors, and I've seen that a lot lately. You know, a, a Nubian breeder might sponsor three rings of junior does, and Sanan breeder may sponsor a ring or two of senior does, or you might sponsor the senior showmanship, and, and it might be just 20 or $25 for each of those sponsorships, but that seems to be a way to get a lot of potential breeders involved. I think if you're doing that, then, you know, of course, you owe them the publicity and the thanks, and you need to make sure you have a good way to capture that and to make sure that you're recognizing them. Yeah, I would agree with that, too. You know, have signs, have have a big sign, have posters around the ring, make sure you announce them, um, do things to really say thanks, thanks to your sponsors. Right. Yeah. Uh, moving. Okay. One, one final question I have about, you know, making sure you have enough capital to cover everything. How do you use the capital from last year's show? So the profit from last year's show in order to fund the next year's show, or do you do that? Uh, we, we do. Uh, we, so when we started out with that first one day show and had 700 exhibitors, we made money on that show. Uh, when with entry fees, um, and what we found is if if we can pull off a three ring show, that third ring is what can make you the money because you've already paid for your facility, you just have the cost of your judge, and most exhibitors are going to go ahead and enter in that third ring. Um, uh, we work. We use a. We have a PayPal account that our entries come in, our expenses, and we kind of use that as our. Um, bank account um, so that we we our group that has the keys to the PayPal account knows what's in there. And we actually, we run uh, market note shows for youth on Friday nights. So we, we aren't just funding a dairy goat show from a dairy goat show. We're, we're kind of looking at our total, total bucket of shows and, and funding it from there. Gotcha. Okay, I, very I'm good. Just, I'm that's just really, always that's curious. Really cool idea. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you talked you talked a lot about the facilities. You said they're expensive, and and I I probably for good reason because they are great facilities on that one there. But looking getting into the nuts and bolts of the facilities, how do you? Um, what makes a good show ring? We'll start with show rings. What makes a good show ring at a facility? Uh, plenty of space. So if you've got a, a ring of Nubian uh, yearlings and there's 20 in that class, they need to be able to fit in that ring and and see all those goats. So space is really key for the show ring. Um, it you know these are dairy goats and they're on a lead. Um, you don't have it doesn't have to be fully enclosed. It doesn't have to be uh, you know, gates all around it. It's not like we're showing um, pigs with whips and trying to keep them confined. So you've got a lot of flexibility on your space and on your show ring. Um, just spacious, able to spread out where that judge can really see the animals. I saw you were, uh, we talked about that big show, the four ring show we had over Halloween weekend. Um, we had uh, the horse arena and we had split it into quadrants and had the holding pens and everything was all set out there. And then just unfortunately, Mother Nature, uh, we were showing in Carhartt coveralls and jackets and fleece. Um, there may have been some whites on underneath all of those layers. <laughs> you couldn't see it. the wind, wind whipping across there. So that was a challenge. Oh, yeah. So another thing, Cameron, that I would throw in there talking about show rings, in addition to having plenty of room, I think you really need to pay some attention on what um, you're showing in. So I can rem remember back to 
uh, judging at some shows where they had the most powdery, dusty, dirty, Mm. um, I guess it was sawdust, but not shavings that by the end of the day, your nose was full of full of it. Your eyes were full of it. Your animals were full of it. It was so dirty and dusty. So I would say whatever whatever material material you're going to put in your show ring, make sure that you can keep it damp enough that the dust is kept down to being tolerable. Holding pins adjacent to your show ring are really important. You want the you want your exhibitors if your barn if your animals are a good distance away you don't want them to have to be running back and forth you want them to to be in a location where they've got space they aren't all nose to nose with other people's animals and you you've got plenty of holding pens to or places to tie do tie outs along your ringside. I would agree with that too because gosh taking your animals back to your pens and then expecting to be back for uh, the champion lineup or for the next ring that's coming through, that's just impossible. If you don't have a good place to at least put them in a tie out, let alone a good holding pin. So I, w- right. I would agree with that. Yeah, totally. What about um, moving, moving along here? What about number of pens? Is there a, a mathematical formula to the amount of pens you need? Um, or does it just depend on the venue? We find we average two goats per pen. So if we are planning a 600 goat show, we need 300 pens. And that's going to give people space for calf, um, space between animals. Uh, that's just, that's historically what we've ended up needing. Um, we're, we're fortunate we have more pens than we have needed. But when we look at how many did we sell and how many goats showed up, it ends up being about um, one pen for every two goats. And do you think at, at, at goat shows, should pens be assigned? This is a hot topic here. Pens be assigned or should um, it just be like a free-for-all? Um, my personal feeling, and at our phase five shows, we assign pens. Um, we're running two-day shows, and there are a lot of times people are coming on day two. And if it's a free-for-all, when you come on day two, there aren't, and you need six pens, there aren't six pens together. Yeah. Or, you know, there, uh, we, we assign pens with a real eye for biosecurity. Uh, we also assign pens. We know that we're going to have a big contingent of Nigerian dwarf breeders. So we try and house most of our Nigerian dwarf goats in a common in a similar area. And we actually may give them a whole separate arena if we're going to run three rings. Um, we've used a whole separate arena for our Nigerian dwarf goats because they need a lot more holding pens than our standard size breeds did. So that's fascinating. If you're not holding, if you're not assigning your pens, you can't accomplish those things. What about, do you do anything fancy when the weather gets cold and you have those cold ring shows there? Um, do you ever think about keeping it, how, how do you keep everybody warm or just tell them to bring their Carhartt jackets? Uh, yeah, we had, uh, we did have uh, hand warmers and feet warmers that we were giving out. I mean, there was just no staying warm at that show. We And that's uh, honestly why we're not repeating. We loved that weekend, that Halloween weekend was fun. You could do so many cool trick or treat and, and costume contests and so many cool things. But here in Indiana, we just couldn't rely on the weather. So we, we gave up on that one. Yeah, probably for uh, good We reason. just bought knit hats for all our judges. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. now, now that would be a judge's gift I'd accept. I'll tell you that. That was our judge's gift, yeah. <laughs> yeah, for sure. For sure. And when you see those poor animals out there shivering in the ring and, and you know, the people who – thought that they would go ahead and clip them because it's not going to be that bad. And then they're just, they're like these little puddles of shivering hair. It makes you wish you could buy uh, foot warmers for your goats too. Exactly. Leg warmers too. Yeah. You know, I mentioned, I mentioned Nigerian dwarf and I want to um, jump off on that for a minute. Um, we, so phase five, um, we look for where are the needs and where are the opportunities. And then in Indiana, we have um, quite a bit of miniature um, 
miniature goats. So MDGA is one of the registries or TMGR, the miniature goat registry, or um, they don't have very many sanctioned shows. And even within our county, we show many Nubians as a class at the fair because there are that many in our county. So we have included an, a dual sanctioned miniature goat show at our last um, three phase five shows. Um, we, we've had people come up from Tennessee and Kentucky to participate in that and coming in from the surrounding states because it's just not offered out there. And as soon as we post that we're going to have a show, we get messages from those folks saying, when's the miniature show going to be? And so we'll keep doing that. As long as there's demand and need and it pays for the judge, we'll keep doing that. And we've, we've combined an NDGA show on Friday evening prior to our Saturday and Sunday show because there are breeders that have asked for that and we know they're going to support us. We're going to support them. That is really a neat idea because I, I think all of us in ADGA are aware that the mini breeders are out there and I've never seen a mini show before. So that's, that's really a neat idea and can help make your show more affordable for everybody by offering right. that. Experience. Right. And typically one of your judges that you've got for your ADGA show will pick up that extra show the, the night before or the next evening. So you don't have another travel expense. You just have another show to pay for. So you, so you talk about advertising there. How do you, where do you get the word out? Facebook. Really Facebook is a place um, that, that people who are showing and um, looking for shows are, are going to find them. Uh, we tip, we did not get our sanction in by December 31st. So we probably won't sanction and be on the ADGA website until 31 days before our show. Um, so it's really, it's really Facebook. That's that vehicle to get the word out there. So, and it's easy to do all the district, all the district pages and the club pages that are out there. Gotcha. So are you doing, and I just think about this just for, you know, maybe general knowledge. Are you doing specific breed pages? Are you doing targeted groups? I mean, what's your, uh, Brenda, I'll say you're annoying on Facebook, but really you're just getting the goat word out on your show uh, when you post on seven <laughs> different groups that I'm a part of. But what's, yeah. your, what's the formula, I guess, if I'm starting a show, what's the formula to let the people know that there's a show happening in Danville, Indiana? Um, you know, Carolyn really um, manages that piece for us, and she's going to probably, she'll build an event, and she'll have shared it 31 times within about 30 minutes. <laughs> um, because you want, you don't want anybody to say, we didn't know you had a show. <laughs> it, you know, it may be annoying that you see it seven times, but it, you know, it's, you're not having to write it down, or you, you just scroll past it after you realize you realize what's out there, but there are a lot of people who are only in one or two groups. They're not in all all of those groups and seeing it. So gotcha. the more people that are aware, the more people you're going to get to your show. Saturation is important, is what you're saying. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Gotcha. So right now, you know, initially you just want to save the date out there so people get it on their calendars. And then as you get closer to the event, that's when you start repeating and updating with your judges and updating with your website. You know, we, we're fortunate we do have a website. People can go there, get information, enter. Very good. So, Brenda, do you guys carry an insurance writer as an organization? We do, yes. Our, our fairgrounds would provide it for us at the tune of uh, $50 per show, but um, we're, run, we're running, I think, combined um, market goats Friday nights and dairy goat shows. We're running about 12 shows this year, so it was less expensive for us to work with an insurance provider. It costs us around $600 uh, for that many shows. Um, and, and just covers us in the event, anything were to happen liability wise and, and the facility. That seems very reasonable to me. Yeah. Yeah. 
So one of the, I guess, Laura, I know you have, I'll let you ask your question here because it's, it's a good one. And I've, I've never caused this one, this before. <laughs> well, <laughs> okay. So, um, drama, uh-huh. I, you know, I would love to say that, oh my gosh, there's no drama in Adga and there's no drama in Dairy Goats, but you know, then I'd be lying. So we know that there's always drama. So, can you kind of talk a little bit about maybe how you guys have handled things that have come up and uh, you know, you can let the the guilty parties stay anonymous, but maybe share some, some experiences that you've gone through if you have, and maybe you haven't. Um, well, you know, honestly, the most drama that we dealt with was Facebook drama when we were holding a show and half of the ad world thought that we were um, that we shouldn't, you know, back in, back in 2020, that was the huge drama is how dare you hold a show. Um, you're, you're spreading COVID. And of course we saw 700 people that are 700 goats about half that number of people that were wanting to come. And you just, you, you look, you assess your risk. Right. You look at what can we do to mitigate this? Um, that one specifically, we just we had we had insurance, we had liability waivers, we had masks, we had space, we had distancing um, and we had contact tracing. And and so we just we dealt with that. We try not to as phase five, we try not to engage in Facebook drama. We learned the hard way to stop doing that. Um, um, but uh, at our show, we've not really had an issue at physically at our shows. I mean, we just we really do everything we can to accommodate our exhibitors through the facility, the meals, the restrooms, hot showers. You know, I mean, the worst thing is we have a hot water heater that won't work, so you got a cold shower. We're going to fix that. We're we're just not going to we're not going to create an environment for drama. Um, we we try not to schedule judges' flights so that somebody has to really rush and make it a bad experience for the exhibitors. If we have to pay for the next night of hotel, we understand that. We put it in the budget so that we're not rushing. Um, I I really can't think of at a phase five show. I mean, I've been to some shows. I've seen some drama um, and kind of watched it from afar, we've not really had drama. I, get, I, have a, I have a bouncer on my crew of six, too, that just takes care of it. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that's another committee member that I never would have thought of asking to have on a show committee, but bouncer, I'll put that on there. That's a good <laughs> idea. <laughs> and, you know, a big shout out to your, my, our, our staff We've got bright orange phase five shirts that say staff across the back. So if you're looking for any of us, you can find us. That's that's actually a really good idea. Just having some signage on people to ask questions to, because, you know, if you right. if you've never been to a show before, you don't really know what the heck's going on. Or all of a sudden you're trying to figure out where to put your trailer or, you know, there's a hundred different things that you're just trying to figure out whenever you pull into a show, especially if you've never been to the facility before. I really like that picture of having people visible, you know, wearing a bright orange shirt so that people know, yes, I can see that color in a sea of white. And that's somebody who knows if I have, right. that's right. great. Good idea. Do you, do you have all of your team there on Friday the, or on the day before the show when people are coming in there? Um, or, or do you kind of save your muscle for the next day? Um, well, we've got a, we've got a core group there, but we're, our, our uh, ring stewards are going to come in the following day, the show secretaries the following day. Um, our show secretaries are not, they're kind of independent of everything else in a phase five show. Um, they're not doing check-in. They're not doing other things. They, they just come in. Their focus is to make sure that the judge and they work together as a unit. Um, so, so they're not doing anything else. Gotcha. That sounds good. I think 
wouldn't you guys agree that maybe a pitfall that many shows have is that they don't have enough they don't have enough people on their committee to do it. And therefore people are wearing lots of different hats. So then things fall through the cracks and you exhaust your show committee. They don't want to do it again. Um, it, it just makes it really difficult. So spending that extra time of having enough people in, and like you said, Brenda, letting them be able to concentrate on that one job that seems to make a big difference. Right. Really the, that division of jobs I've also seen show committees that are too large and and it seems like no one knows the answer to anything, but they are they're everything is by committee. And and that can be a downfall too, if you if you just aren't all on the same page. You pretty much you need to get on the same page. Gotcha. I can see that. Yeah. Brent sure. Brenda, when you're putting on a show what is the one thing that you are worried about the most um, more than, you know, anything else in the world, the, more than the weather? <laughs> the weather is the big one. Um, just that <laughs> exhibitors are going to come. You know, that you're going to get the, the goats that they're going to show up. You know, the, a funny story that the big um, Hell at the Moon we did over the uh, Halloween weekend, which was a huge show but we didn't have a lot of sonnen breeders signed up and they all were texting us and messaging us and saying how many sonnen senior does are signed up and you know we we don't require people to enter until right you know it's online it's going to be right before the show but we would say well we got a we've heard from this person and this person and this person and they just they wouldn't commit how many are you bringing? So we finally, uh, thanks to Amy Keach and Todd Biddle and um, I think Jake um, also um, finally committed so that we had enough, and Tina Spear here locally, we had enough son and seniors to sanction. But, you know, that's that was probably the biggest struggle that we had was we, we'd love to sanction every breed individually and hope you know you, you hope that those animals are all going to come that was that was a challenging one to get our our son and senior show sanctioned that year um i've seen a lot of i'll see shows that'll kind of do a facebook post and say okay comment here on what you're bringing and then people can kind of work together with each other uh i i know especially if i'm going to a buck show i'm i tend to be um buck rich here at my farm um, with the young ones so I can help sanction some different breeds if you just know that it's going on. I think that's the biggest challenge and my biggest fear is I'm going to have people travel in from Pennsylvania and their breed is not going to sanction. I don't know. What should I be scared of? Oh, um, wow. There's a bunch of things. Uh, I won't go into all my anxiety um, about going to go shows. Um, I'm mostly worried about backing into something. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, I'm worried about if I have to back the trailer up, do I have plenty of room? So <laughs> I actually have a couple show secretaries that are, or I'm sorry, ring stewards that are really good at backing trailers. We've put them to use before too. <laughs> That's perfect. Yeah. <laughs> that should be something you advertise in my book, okay? There you go. There you go. Yeah. Back up. Yes, but Brenda, do you have any final words? I'm out of questions. Laura, do you have any more? Nope, I think I'm good. I think Brenda, I think this yeah. is great, especially as people are trying to put their shows together. This is going to give, I, I think this will give a lot of food for thought. Good. You Brenda, know, I just, um, we, we really, we love putting on shows that are memorable, that we, it, it really makes us proud of the job that we did. When people are sending us messages asking when's when is your phase five show going to be next year, um, that that's that's really our goal is to make it an experience that you want to come back and do again. Um, and that you know we hope we hope we see a bunch of our friends August twentieth and twenty first back here in Indiana um, at the next phase five show, um, and and just. If people have questions, I'm on Messenger. I'm on 
Facebook. Um, they can reach out and ask questions. We're, we are more than happy um, to help, and we try to support surrounding shows and, and do whatever we can to just make Dairy Goat shows uh, fun events and, and worthwhile to go to. Well, I would say, Brenda, that um, there's been a long tradition of that in Indiana with the Hoosier Classic. That was always mm -hmm. the show that everybody wanted to make in the Midwest, kind of like the little nationals. So um, when you have achieved knowing that people put your show on their calendar every year, and like you said, you know, your show is the one that they don't want to miss. They want to make sure that they hit it. I think that's a great measure of success. Yeah. And you know, you, you mentioned Hoosier Classic. This is the 50th anniversary of the Hoosier Classic in 2022. So that show on June 10th and 11th, 10th, 11th, 12th, that weekend, um, three rings this year, and it's at the Danville facility as well. So we're so excited to have this awesome facility that we can host dairy goat shows at. We hope, we hope to see lots of Lots of smiling faces and beautiful goats. 50 years. That's, that's pretty amazing. Years. Yes. Yes. Brenda, thank you so much for this week uh, and, and being our guest this week. We do appreciate it. It's been my pleasure. Thank you. Cameron, um, do you want to give everybody another shout out to our sponsor before we go yes uh, a big thank you to rock and t acres uh colt and uh kaylee churchill uh in southern iowa for being our sponsor this week um and as always listeners we appreciate you and being uh with us every week if you have any feedback let us know um if you like it tell a friend if not uh, give us that feedback because we're always looking to improve and get better. If you have any suggestions for topics or um, anything you want to hear us talk about, again, feel free to message us on Facebook. Uh, don't forget to uh, subscribe to us on Apple iTunes, Spotify, Google, wherever you get your podcasts, really, or on all the major platforms. We are so glad that you joined us this week, and we look forward to seeing you again on our next episode of Goat Gab. Have a great week, everyone.